Morning, everybody. It's great to be up here sharing God's word with you again today. You know, it's not a holiday. Well, well I'll get to that. Don't you worry. Uh, Pastor Rich told me that, you know, he was going to be gone for a few Sundays, asked if I could take one, and I, you know, I think I kind of got first pick because I jumped on it. I said, I want this one. Why? You know, it's not a holiday, right? I mean, but I've done Mother's Day before, so I've always got, got that checked off already. I'm going to let Justin have that one. And uh, I'm going to, I've never done a Siete de Mayo lesson myself, so there's another one I've always wanted to do. Now, once I picked the day I was going to teach, then I was like, okay, so what's the assignment? Last few years, whenever I fill in here, Pastor Rich tells me, okay, this is where I'm going to leave off. You pick up here. Well, this time he just finished the book of Jude, right? And he's going to start another book when he gets back. So he told me, you can just do anything you want in the Old Testament. Just, you know, narrowed it down for me. And uh, 39 books to choose from. And, uh, you know, even though that's a lot to pick from, uh, there's really one idea that just kept, like, jumping out at me that something I've been thinking about. And it's, uh, you know, the idea of uh, having courage uh, and conquering fear with rational courage, you know. And that's what I want to talk to you about today is rational courage. And so to look at that, uh, there's a lot of places you can find courage in the Bible. There's a lot of, uh, and we're going to talk about some of them, but the main one I think of is, is Joshua. And so we're going to look at the life of Joshua and kind of skim over most of his life, you know. So we're going to finish up around 6 p.m. And <laughs> no, 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 we'll keep this moving. So... Like I said, there's, there's, we all have reasons, things that in our lives, things around us that can make us fear, cause us to fear. I mean, it's a scary world we live in, and it seems to be getting scarier all the time. You know, like we've, we've got lots of things that we have rational reasons to fear, but we also have, you know, irrational fears. You know, those, those come up in a, you know, I've, I've heard Pastor Rich do a few lessons about fear over the years. And uh, one of his go-tos is to put up a couple of uh, weird ones from the internet. So I'm not going to steal his idea and, uh, you know, put up... How are we doing on my slides there, Zeke? We're getting there? Okay. <laughs> well, I'm not going to tell you how globophobia is a fear of balloons. <laughs> or that... This one I really have to read right off the page. Hippopotomonstrosesquipediophobia is a fear of long words. <laughs> you know, I, I doubt that the people afflicted with that fear actually use the technical term for it. Unless it's some kind of like immersion therapy where they overcome their fear by saying that word over and over again, you know? Like, it's, it's a pretty long word. I, 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 something tells me that that's kind of like the, the inside joke among the... Uh, the psychologists is that they made the, the fear of long words as long as they possibly could. Um, those are ir- kind of irrational fears, but there's lots of rational, what we, what we could say are rational fears, good, perfectly valid concerns to have about the world around us, about our own lives. You know, just to name a few, you know, we're, you know, we're dealing with a, a kind of a, a more of a threat of war, world war, than we've had in a while right now. We've got the you know, just the declining moral state of our own country and, and you know, f- uh, freedoms threatened to be taken away from us as, as just citizens, but also as Christians. Uh, we've got 
shoot, Denise writes shootings all over the place. We've got just a, a, a very rough and scary time that we're living in. And then we've got things that I think have been common to people throughout history. You know, we, we all get older, we all get sick, we all have like afflictions and, and things that we have to deal with. And so looking ahead to the future of like, what am I gonna have to experience as I get older? As I, am I gonna get sick? Am I gonna get cancer? Am I gonna get, what's gonna happen to me? You know, I, uh, I recently uh, made a call and uh, got signed up for some life insurance. I had always had life insurance through my last job uh, and didn't really have to do much with it. I just signed my name and signed up for it. But now it was like I had to call the company and sign up. And let me tell you, there's nothing that'll get your anxiety going like talking for 45 minutes with someone about all the medical problems your family has ever had, you know? <laughs> I got off that phone call and I was exhausted and I was stressed out, you know, like, because uh, it just makes you really think about all the possibilities of things that could happen to you. Um, and so there's another thing that, that can stress you out is, you know, just concerns for your concerns if you have children for their future, for what the world's going to look like as they grow up, you know, for what kind of life they're going to have. Uh, concerns for how you make, how your decisions might be the wrong ones. You know, that can be crippling to have a fear of making the wrong decision. And then, you know, add that to having kids and you make fear making the wrong decision with your kids and how that's going to affect their life. So all that to say, there's, there's plenty of perfectly valid, I would say, things to be concerned about that can turn into anxiety and fear and worry. Um, so w- what do we do about that? You know, we have to fight that fear with what, I, what I, again, I'd say is rational courage. And so I'm going to look at, we're going to look at Joshua today and see how we can have rational courage. Because praise the Lord, he's told us not to fear. He's told us that we don't have to fear because he's in control. And so that courage doesn't come from me summoning something up within myself. You know, uh, It comes from remembering who God is and that I belong to him and that he's, he's got me. And we can all remember that if we're his. It's not to say that we shouldn't do anything about the things that we can control, you know, like signing up for life insurance so that my family is provided for or, or voting to, you know, try and get people into office who will make right decisions for our country or, or, you know, a number of other things, you know, taking care of ourselves so we don't have health problems, some of those health problems. Those are all things we can do, but all of that takes courage too, you know. Um, so we need God's help for that. So the life of Joshua gives us a good example of this kind of courage. Joshua was a man chosen by God to lead God's people into the promised land. You know, Moses, he led them out of Egypt. He led the Exodus, and he freed them from slavery with with God's mighty help, you know, with the the signs and wonders and plagues. And Moses led the people for 40 years in the desert, but when it was time to enter the promised land, it was Joshua who led them. Joshua defeated the armies of the people who inhabited the land before and Joshua divided up the land and settled it for the Israelites. You know, there's, so he needed courage to do all of those things. And, you know, he might not be the first person you think of when you think of courage. You might think of David, Elijah, Gideon, or Daniel, perhaps. And what, but what all of these men have in common, heroes of the faith, is that God prepared them for the big thing that they were going to have to do in one way or another. Um, if you want to hear a sermon about any of those guys, you know, you can look online or, or wait at least two weeks. I don't know what Jim's talking about. but <laughs> Same thing, all right. You know, 
those heroes were prepared by God to do the things he called them to do. David fought wild beasts tending his father's sheep. And since God saved them from the lion and saved them from the bear, he was ready to fight Goliath when he needed to. He wasn't afraid. Um, Elijah, after his initial prophecy, he spent some extensive time living in the wilderness, being provided for by God, fed by ravens, drinking from a brook. And then he, then he moved to a widow's house where God kept refilling the flour jar and the oil. And so Elijah saw from that that God was going to take care of him. And then he had the courage to go up on Mount Carmel and tra- challenge the prophets of Baal. Uh, Gideon took some convincing. He wasn't uh, very brave to begin with. He met the angel of the Lord, and if that, wasn't, that wasn't a message enough for him, so he had to use the, the fleece as a test twice. But God was patient with him and showed him, encouraged him and showed him that God was going to take care of him, and then Gideon defeated an army with 300 men. Uh, Daniel, we don't have a lot of record of his upbringing, but it's very plain to see from the moment that we first meet him you know, that, that he was raised to pray and raised to uh, study God's word and, and to believe and trust God because he boldly went and refused to eat the meat sacrificed to idols. He asked for just vegetables. And then he refused to stop praying when it could cost him his life. So God prepared all of them to do the things he was calling them to do. And Joshua was no exception. Joshua had an extensive training period before he was called to lead God's people. And we can look at some of the events in Joshua's life uh, to see how God prepared him and then see how God used him as well. So uh, starting in Exodus chapter 17, we can turn there because we're going to read a section there. Exodus chapter 17, Joshua was put in charge of uh, the army, first things first. And that's no small task either. So how did, how did he get to be the person chosen to be put in charge of the army? Uh, we, we don't see anything about his previous life, but we can guess, not guess, we can know just based on the fact that he's an Israelite, that Joshua lived in Egypt as a slave, saw God deliver them through the ten plagues, walked through the Red Sea on dry land, was led by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, And while some of the Israelites, many, most of the Israelites forgot about those things and then complained and grumbled against God and said, you've brought us out into the desert to kill us all, Joshua, I think, saw those things that God had done and it gave him reason to trust God and and do whatever God called him to do. And so when he was put in charge of uh, some men in order to fight the Amalekites, uh, Joshua was ready. The Israelites had very very recently come through the Red Sea. They hadn't been on their journey very long. And the Amalekites, who were a nomadic people who frequently raided the people around them to rob them and kill them, they attacked the rear of the Israelites' convoy, you know, which is where all the people who are kind of straggling behind, the older people, the women and children, they attacked there. And so something had to be done about it. And Moses told Joshua to go out and, and fight against them. So these Amalekites had plenty of practice fighting. You know, this was kind of their way of life, was just attacking other people all the time to get what they wanted. And they spotted this giant caravan of Israelites, and they thought they were sitting ducks. So we can start in verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. 
Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. And whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Now, there's a whole lesson to be told right there in that about prayer and the power of prayer. That's not my lesson today, but you could do that. You could find that, because I think Pastor Rich has taught about that before, back when he went through Numbers, uh, Exodus and Numbers. So it's an amazing account, and the outcome of the battle did not depend on Joshua's fighting skills, as we see, because what experience could Joshua have really had as an Egyptian slave with going to war? It, was, it all depended on Moses keeping his hands up in a posture of prayer to God. And so really, since we know that Moses doesn't have magic powers in his hands, we can see clearly that it all depended on God. The victory was in God's hands, and God gave them the victory. It was Israel's first battle, and they, all of the Israelites should have taken careful note that they could win against any force, stronger, more experienced force than them, because God was with them. Now, in Joshua's case, he didn't forget this. Joshua learned from this that he could trust God no matter how the odds stacked up against them, uh, that God would, would give them the victory. Joshua had seen the Egyptians pursuing them in chariots swept away in the Red Sea. Joshua, and now Joshua had seen this victory given to them. All of Israel had seen the same things, but many of them didn't remember it. Now, if we look ahead to Exodus chapter 24, Moses climbed Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone, and Joshua went with him. In the end, they waited six days as the cloud covered the mountain, and then in the end, Moses went on alone, but Joshua waited on the side of the mountain for Moses for 40 days. And so... Joshua spent time aiding Moses. This was his role now. This is the first time Joshua's called Moses' aid. So he, he had already experienced commanding a military battle, and now he also was leading and helping in a spiritual matter. Joshua was up on the mountain for the 40 days, and so he didn't have any part of the golden calf that was uh, demanded by the Israelites and then made by Aaron. He was there with Moses on the mountain. Now, later on in Exodus chapter 33, Moses set up the tent of meeting outside of the camp where he would go and meet with God. And we see in verse 9 of chapter 33, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. Well, the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. And so here is another you know, formative thing in Joshua's life, preparing him to lead the people. As, as Moses' assistant, he went with him into the tent of meeting where Moses met with God. And then when Moses left, God, Joshua stayed there because he wanted to spend time with God too. You know, the highlight of this section is that 
Mo, that God met with Moses and talked with him face to face. But it's important just to see that Joshua stuck around after too, that, they, that this was important to him becoming a man who spent time with God, knew God, and knew he could trust God. You know, if, if you've been here at Calvary Chapel for any amount of time, you've probably heard Pastor Rich or one of the rest of us say how important it is to spend time with God yourself every day, to spend time in his words, spend time in prayer. And the reason it gets repeated so much is because, A, it's so important, and B, it's so easy to get away from it. That's true for me as well. You know, you know I, I like to read my Bible at night after the kids go to bed, and, you know, there's some advantages to that, and there's some disadvantages. One of the disadvantages is if we have anything going on in the evening, you know, any event, any family thing, anything, that can, that can kind of mess up my schedule of reading, and then that happens, and the next day something else happens, and before you know it, I haven't read my Bible in three or four days, and I'm all stressed out because I need it. I know I need to spend time with God in order to uh, maintain that relationship with him and draw strength from him and his word. So it's really important, and we all need it, and Joshua knew that he needed it, and so he was there with Moses, and he was there by himself afterwards. So Joshua became a man of great faith and courage very quickly. You know, we we go through chapters and chapters of the Bible to get to these things, but all of it happened within two years of the Israelites leaving Egypt. And, uh, you know, once the law was given to the Israelites, I, I don't doubt that Joshua spent a lot of time reading the law and memorizing it and knowing God's word. So the longer we walk with God as believers, the more we have reasons to trust God. If we really look back over our lives and the events that God has uh, orchestrated and, been, and shown himself to us and how he's there for us and taking care of us, things he's gotten us through, the more it builds our faith in him and the more it should build our, our courage to keep following him and keep doing what he's called us to do. And so that's true in Joshua's life. Unfortunately, like I said, it's, it's not true of all these Israelites who seemed like they had a short-term memory problem where they couldn't remember the great things that God had already done for them. But we, we can be like that too. You know, I can find myself stressing out and freaking out about something that God has already helped me through before. And, and you know, and I have to take a minute and refocus and remember, God's been through, for, there for me through this in the past. He's going to be there for me again. And then we can find the courage to do what we've got to do, to face whatever we've got to face. So it's, it's good to look back, you know, to look back and see and remember the things God has done. Sometimes we don't realize it when it's happening that God is doing something for us, that God is helping us through something. But then when you look back, it's perfect hindsight where we can see that God was there all along. He was getting us through that. Sometimes it takes somebody else pointing it out to us. So I hope this journey through Joshua's life isn't giving you mega homophobia, which is the fear of very long sermons. <laughs> Take courage. I want to play ragball too, so <laughs> you need not fear. I'm going to keep this moving. But we've reached an important point for both Joshua and the nation of Israel as a whole in Numbers chapter 13, if you want to turn there. So we flipped through the whole book of Leviticus, but still, not much time has passed by. The Israelites have reached the border of Canaan, the land God had promised to give them. He had protected them and provided them on their, for them on their journey Despite all the grumbling and the complaining, he had given them manna from heaven. He had given them water from rock. 
they made it through the desert. And now they're on the edge of the land he's promised to them. And the Lord told Moses to send a man from each tribe of Israel to explore the land. And they spent, those 12 men spent 40 days checking out the strength of the people they were facing and the quality of the land and food that grew there. And Joshua was one of the 12 selected. When they returned, all the men agreed that the land really was wonderful, a land flowing with milk and honey, as God had promised. Joshua and Caleb were ready to go in immediately. They were the two spies who said, we can do it, God's with us. But ten others refused, beginning in verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people, they are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, and the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. That's being a little dramatic, isn't it? Because I think part of the uh, object of being a spy is that they weren't seen at all by the people of Canaan. It wouldn't, so we seemed like grasshoppers to them. Oh, did you, did you talk to one of them? Did, did you let them see that you were spying out their land, and then they told you you look like a grasshopper to me? <laughs> but in any case, they became fearful because the people there, there were among them giants, like Goliath later on in the Bible. Not giants who are 50 feet tall, but you know, a nine-foot-tall man can be pretty scary. And they, but these men seemed to forget, every, forget everything that God had already done for them in the face of these giants. And they focused instead on their own ability to fight them. And then they stirred up all the other Israelites into a panic to the point where they started actually making plans to go back to Egypt and be slaves again because they thought it would be better than fighting these giants. It sounds crazy, but again, I find myself doing the same thing, you know, panicking when I know that there's no reason to panic, you know, freaking out when I know God's in control, thinking about how I can't do this when I know it's God who needs to do it. It's a trap we all fall into very easily. Now, if we jump down to chapter 14, verse 6, we see something else that took courage from Joshua and Caleb. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them, but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Things got very ugly for Joshua and Caleb very fast. When just a short while ago, all of these Israelites would have been very excited about reaching the promised land and entering into it, and this is going to be awesome. Now they're all terrified and they want to stone Joshua and Caleb because they're saying, we can do it. Now, it can certainly be challenging for us to speak the truth when everyone around us is running after lies, right? But uh, I don't know if anybody here has ever been threatened with stoning yet, but it does happen in other places in the world where believers are, are killed for speaking the truth. They faced an angry mob, and it was only because God stepped in right there that kept that from going any further where, where any harm was done to them. God, Joshua and Caleb trusted God so completely to keep his promises, and they rightfully feared what would happen to their people if they continued to rebel. 
Their fear was in the right place. They feared God. And they feared what God would do with these people as they talked about going back to Egypt. They probably didn't think it was a very courageous thing to say, to to stand up to this mob of people and say that we can do it. God will be with us. But it did take courage. They probably thought it was only rational. It only made sense to say it because, of course, we can take it. God is with us. They had seen everything God had done, and they hadn't forgotten it. Now, they weren't stoned to death, but instead the glory of the Lord appeared, and it was only by Moses' intercession for the people that God relented from destroying all of them in this situation. And instead, as punishment, none of the Israelites over 20 years old would enter the promised land but Joshua and Caleb. They were the only two who would go. The rest would all die in the desert over the next 40 years wandering. And Joshua and Caleb would watch everyone older than them and everyone their own age die in the desert as a result. And Moses wouldn't be allowed to enter earlier. I don't want to spoil too much about Justin's lesson for next week. You know, he's going to talk about that. But Moses wasn't allowed to enter either for a separate reason. And before he died, Moses laid hands on Joshua, and God commissioned him as Israel's new leader in Deuteronomy chapter 31. In front of all the people, Moses said to Joshua, Be strong and courageous, for you must go, off, go with these people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Then further on in Deuteronomy 31-23, God spoke a similar command to Joshua directly and said, The Lord gave this command to Joshua, son of Nun. Be strong and courageous, for you will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them on oath, and I myself will be with you. Then after Moses died, God spoke to Joshua directly again. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joshua, and God spoke to him in Joshua chapter 1, where the Lord tells Joshua, first, be strong and courageous. Then he says, be strong and very courageous. And then he says a third time, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And that's one of my favorite Bible verses, and I think that's why I honed in on doing this lesson today. It's something I need myself very frequently to be reminded that God wants me to be strong and courageous in Him, not in my own strength. Clearly, God knew how much Joshua needed this due to all the repetition. Now, we don't have any outward sign that Joshua was trembling in fear or that he was uh, wavering at all from doing what God had called him to do. But if you think about it, Joshua's mentor, Moses, had just died recently. And he was put in charge of a people that he needed to bring into the promised land. They were arriving at the same spot where previously these people had rebelled and wanted to stone him to death when he said, let's go into the promised land. And now he was supposed to lead them in there. And so if there was ever a time in Joshua's life for him to feel more anxious than ever, I would say this was it. Not because he didn't trust God, but because these people could certainly not be trusted to do what they were supposed to do. But God told them to be strong and courageous. I don't think he was afraid of giants at all, but I I think it's quite possible that he was afraid of being in charge of this group of people. But he didn't show it. And he did lead them across the Jordan uh, to Jericho, 
through battles across Canaan, conquering everywhere he went, sometimes in very miraculous ways, God gave them victory. And Joshua defeated the Canaanites and settled the land and divided it among the Israelites as God had commanded him to do. But before he would do any of that, God encouraged him and told him repeatedly, be strong and courageous. And then he was faithful to do so. So you can read about that in the book of Joshua. I told you I wasn't going to go that long (laughs) to cover all of that. You can see how they didn't have anything to fear as long as God was with them, as long as they followed him. And then in the end of the book of Joshua, we see probably his most famous words when he told the Israelites that they needed to choose who they wanted to serve for themselves, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And so I've talked a lot about courage today and why, how we need courage, but it's not just courage so that we can get through the day or courage so that we can feel better or, you know, have a better day. You know, it's not just that. It's courage in order to serve. And that's what Joshua needed, and that's what we need. We need courage in order to serve God. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That takes courage in this world that we live in to make a stand for God. But we can get that courage from him because he's not going to leave us or forsake us either. He gave his only son for us. Are we not going to trust him to get us through whatever this world has to throw at us? When we remember what God's already done for us and we trust him, the courage comes naturally. It's only, it's only rational. That's why I call it rational courage because it only makes sense to have courage when we have God behind us. It's like a, you know, with a small child who's getting picked on on a playground and their big brother comes and stands behind him, that kid suddenly feels very brave, doesn't he? He has a good reason to. And this is like immensely beyond that. You know, God is behind us. We don't have anything to fear. We can have courage. And when we have that courage, when we serve him, when we step out in faith and do what God calls us to do, it gives God what Pastor Rich talked about last week. It gives him glory, the glory he rightfully deserves. Charles Spurgeon said of this, the Christian ought to be of a courageous spirit in order to glorify the Lord by enduring trials in a heroic manner. Let your spirit be joyful in God your Savior. When we find ourselves lacking this courage, when we're worried, we're anxious, we're afraid or discouraged, let's remember where to find strength again, where to find courage, in the one we know is always with us and for us. He's commanded us to be strong and courageous. It's not a suggestion. But when we're his, it's the only reasonable thing to do. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that when we put our trust in you, you never leave us or forsake us. We thank you that we can just depend on you in every situation this life has for us. We thank you that ultimately we know where we're headed and it's to eternity with you. And everything, every problem that we face on this earth seems small in comparison to that promise that you've given to us. Pray, Lord, you'd forgive us for the times when we become fearful and discouraged, and that you would just help us to put that aside and to remember who you are, what you've promised, and what we have in you. And that we would just press on for whatever you've called us to do.
We ask that you would help us to be lights in this dark world and stand firm in you. And we pray that you would just remind us by your Holy Spirit of all you've done for us in the past. Pray that you would help us to grow in our faith, encourage and prepare us for what lies ahead as we walk with you. For anyone here or listening at home who hasn't put their trust in you, Lord, I pray now that they would and that they would have that assurance and that source of of peace and courage from you. And if that's you, you just need to turn to God right now and put your belief and trust in him. Know that Jesus died for you, rose again, and has washed your sins away by paying for them on the cross. And then you have eternal life if you put your trust in that. So, Lord, we just thank you. We praise you. We want to bring you glory. And we know that to do that, we need courage. And we pray, Lord, you give it to us. And I just, I know I can depend on you. We all can. And that you're faithful, so very faithful and good to us. And we just thank you for that. And we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.